This morning's featured speaker is our senior minister, the spiritual leader of our community. Please join me in welcoming Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning and welcome. So I'm going to invite you to sing a song if you'd like. Don't sing if you don't want. And if you'd like to stand up, please feel free to do that. Or stay seated. you to know with me in this moment and declare there is one life that life is God's life that life is perfect that life is my life now and in that knowing I know that every time I affirm that I'm shifted and changes I open my heart and open my mind and open my being to that idea and so whatever is seeking expression in the best and highest way for me in this moment is made clear and obvious so I may choose for I know life is fluid nothing is static and I have the opportunity each and every moment to continue to filter my thoughts in a way that are powerful and amazing to unleash this divine potential in and through and as myself, yourself, to bless the world, to step into any situation and look around because we are so fully orbed in the awareness and the consciousness of the one that our first question is, how may I help? How may I serve? And so I give thanks this day for that opportunity to know that I have everything I need. You have everything you need to move forward and to be willing to serve even if we don't feel like we have everything we need because that's just a perception that's not true. For this I give thanks knowing that the blessings and the awareness and the ideas and the brilliance and seeking expression by me uniquely, only by me, is here now. And I welcome it and continue to welcome it and then I stay in that conversation. For this I give thanks and I invite you to say with me, declaration of this knowing and so it is please be seated thank you brown beautiful beautiful martin that song every time you sing, i have a history with that fast car song and man the first he did it for the second song in the last service and oh man he just kleenex after kleenex so wherever he is love that guy love our musicians so I've been working on this little book on meaning by Laura Berman Fort Gang. And wonderful things, if you don't have a copy of this, I think it's a wonderful book, little anecdotes of her journey, and powerful and wonderful. It's great to be alive and be able to read other stories. One of the things that she says this week is, when we heal our perception, we give birth to freedom and meaning. When we heal our perception, we give birth to freedom and meaning. And that's the journey we're on for all of us. 
the beauty of what we have is that we, we get to entertain new ideas all the time. That's why we call it new thought. And we're in a constant evolution. We're in a constant growth if we allow ourselves to be that. And sometimes it's, you know, we want to take a pause. Have you ever noticed that with your growth? You'd like to slow down a little bit sometimes. You know? Yeah, I'm, in, I'm all in for all this learning and growing, but sometimes I just want to chill a little bit. And so when we heal our perception, it's the opportunity to give birth to freedom and meaning. Einstein said this, that things are not things but energy. And this was up until Einstein came along. This whole idea about, about life was that it was Newtonian. And the Newtonian idea was that everything is a big machine and just kind of clicks along. And there are still people on the planet, believe it or not, to think that that's the way it works, that everything is, is obvious and the only things that are real are the things that we can see and touch. But what's happened is that we've been able to do some... The, the quantum physicists have gotten a hold of what we teach... Dr. Holmes talked this, called this the science of mind back in the 1920s, prior to any of the quantum physics really being explored in any meaningful way. And he understood that consciousness precedes experience. And so our opportunity is to take the perceptions that we have and transform them into something that might be more interesting or productive. When you watch people with addictions, what you don't realize many times is the addiction is the blessing in your life. I had three or four people after this morning's first session come up to me and say that. You know, this is how I perceive my addiction, the blessing in my life, because that becomes the thing to master. That becomes the thing to filter and to move forward in your life. So Einstein said, things are, things are not things but energy. The nature of the world is not solidity but per perpetual motion. So when we shift our perception, we step into that perpetual motion in a new way. A number of years later, Werner Heisenberg and Niles Bohr had this to say. Particles, now particles are the minutest of matter. Particles do not bounce off each other while retaining their essential properties. So in the Newtonian way of looking at it, it's like billiard balls, big billiard ball table, and everything bounces in and then the balls go all over the place. And that's not how particles work. When particles come together, instead they are, we're constantly absorbing each other or exchanging properties. Constantly absorbing each other or exchanging properties. So when you and I come together, when we come together on Sunday and we have this conversation, there's an energetic here, there's a vibration. And when you walk in, you feel it, you sense it. And I think that's true of any faith-based community. Some will say that, and, it, and, and I think the conversation within each community is important. Because when we, start to, when we make the, the effort to earn something, when we make the effort that based on my behavior, I will then be... Uh, allowed to walk through a certain doorway of, of experience, which many would consider heaven. It's a very popular idea in, the, in many cultures. Many th the theologies have this idea of heaven. The teacher Jesus said that the, 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 the kingdom is upon the earth, but you do not see it. And for many, they will not see it. They will not experience it simply because the consciousness, the perception hasn't shifted enough to realize this is it. This is the eternal moment. This is, it never gets any better than this. That's good news if you're, you're, you're feeling grounded in that. And if you're not, if you're not having a great experience, it's still heaven. It's, it's the shifting of perception. And that's the work that we're about. They always, you know, and I think it's true, no one says that there's no one more miserable than a miserable metaphysician. Because who are you going to blame? Because you can't blame anybody anymore. The devil didn't make you do it. No. It was you that decided to drink that last 12-pack of beer before you went to bed. 
So particles are, are constantly absorbing each other or exchanging properties. And that's what happens when we do our, our spiritual mind treatment, when we do our prayer work. And that's why it's so important. The consciousness upon the words, beneath the words, is so important. And that is what is such a wonderful part of what we do. So when you walk in here, it's not about you've got to do this and this and this to measure up. It's really for all of us to look at one another and say, Oh my God, here comes, God, here comes another godling through the door. It's powerful and wonderful. There's a couple that moved into a new neighborhood. John and Mary move into a neighborhood, and John is off working. He's got a new job and a lot of things to take care of. And Mary is home meeting all the neighbors and getting to know the, the community. And John comes home about a week and a half later and says, You know what? I met this mo- most amazing couple next door. And every night when the husband comes home, gives the wife a beautiful big kiss when they greet one another. Every night. He said, Wouldn't that be great? Don't you think that's something you could do? And he says, But honey, I, I don't even know that woman. Pantangeli, the father of the yoga system, declares this. When you are inspired by some great purpose, some extraordinary project, your mind transcends limitation, your consciousness expands in every direction, and you feel yourself in a new, great, and wonderful world. Suddenly, dormant forces, faculties, and talents within you become alive, and you discover yourself to be a greater person than you ever dreamed yourself to be. If there's, any, if there's any mission statement that would, would support, in a parallel manner, what we teach here, I think that's it. As we awaken up to the truth of our being, but the perception is we're not that, because we've been conditioned. We've spent 30, 40, 50 years thinking in a, in a certain way. And then to come in and say, well, we'll change our thinking, change our lives. What happens, I was, I was um, that last couple of weeks, I was talking to someone about that. And there's a, there was an addictive pattern in their lives, and it kept showing up over and over again. It was actually a relationship. And she said, you know, but this person keeps showing up into my life. And I said, well, how long have you been in a relationship? Mm, about four years. And I said, so and when did you decide to end the, that the relationship was not a healthy one and you wanted to end it? Well, about three weeks ago. And I said, as, as the Buddhists understand, when you, just because you change your mind doesn't mean that the, the imprints that you've laid down in consciousness have, have necessarily been eradicated. And it may take time to filter that out. But it makes perfect sense. She said, well, I, he just shows up randomly wherever I go. And I said, well, you've spent so much time connecting with this person. That's going to play itself out for a, a bit longer. And you'll know when you've, when you've reached that sort of apex of tipping over to the other idea, it'll stop happening. But consciousness plays itself out. And we may have addictions in our lives and say, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore. It may be people, it may be substance, it may be some other idea, it might be obsessive thinking. But to simply make the declaration, I'm not doing this anymore, sometimes it takes a little longer than that. That's where spiritual practice comes in. That's where practitioners come in because you want to absorb the consciousness. When we're together, we absorb the consciousness. So when I call a practitioner, I want the, I want the clearest practitioner I know. I want someone that's so clear in their, in their thinking that they see the possibility for me to support me into the new idea because there's one mind common to all. That's why prayer treatment works. That's why prayers work. I love Stephen Covey's story of uh, how his, his, he and his wife would stand over his children and they would affirm them silently every night. What a powerful thing to do. Stand over somebody you love and affirm the goodness and the God potential and the divine over someone to declare that. That's their blessing. And one night he, he told his wife, come on, let's go. And she said, no, I'm not, done, I'm not done affirming them yet. But that was part of their ritual. That's affirmative prayer. Affirming a blessing over another. There's a, I was visiting with someone the other day and they, they were talking about a, a, a program that they have 
introduced in Edmonton, and there's a, I don't know the names of the individuals, but I can give you some of the details. They'll go into environments where there's disadvantaged children, and they've studied this now for a period of time. And what they've done is they've assigned each child that's at risk to three mentors. And they've had a 95% success rate. Just simply having three mentors in a child's life that believe in them and affirm them. What a powerful thing. And for us, so how do we shift our perception? Because if there's things that are happening in our lives, perhaps do you have three people in your life that affirm you? Are you working with a practitioner? Does your, your life partner support you? See, the only reason to get married, in my opinion, this is just me, so you yeah, can throw it away if you don't like it, but all these ideas about it, it's truly to help one another grow into the, the, the consciousness and the expression of the divine that we are meant to be. It's the only reason. Why, else, why would we do this otherwise? Because, you know, after a while, all, of, all the reasons that you get together, if, you're not, if, that, doesn't, if that, that foundational piece isn't there, all the reasons that you get together initially, they're going to all fade. That longing that you think is going to be fulfilled by the other person, all of a sudden it's going to show up again. Oh, my gosh. I thought the, you know, I thought the marriage, because that's what, that's what uh, Freud said. Freud wouldn't work with anybody if they'd fallen in love. He said, come back in six months or a year when you, this fades, because you'll come, because they're insane. They'll go crazy in love. But that's that longing. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with going crazy in love. Can't live if living is without you. Isn't that one of your favorite songs? I mean, there's a declaration, isn't it? I mean, look at all the popular songs. And the, the Jerry Maguire thing, You Complete Me, all that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with romantic love. But once, when we understand that nobody can do that for us, we have to do it for ourselves. We just have to. And yet, the, the popular ideas, and then we wonder why the divorce rate is so high. We wonder why people come together in the, in the relationship, we fall into love and fall out of love. Where are you going? <laughs> I don't think she loves me anymore. She's yelling at me, whatever. If you don't know, that's Diane. She sits in the front row, and when the clapping starts, she leads it, and we love her, and she helps us during the week. She's fantastic and amazing, so I'm not picking on her. I'm just, uh, if I can get a smile out of her, my day is complete. But anyway, so Laura Berman Fortgang talks about in her book about how she battled depression her whole life. And she said, you know, depression has never gone away from me. It always sort of is lingering under the surface. But what she realized the gift in depression was is that, that she, it, it, it forced her to become more aware of the quality of her thinking. It forced her to shift her perception. So when we have addictions in our life, when we have things that, that, that force us to, be, to wake up, isn't it interesting how the, the universe works? And we think these things are bad things. We wish we didn't have them. And yet all those things, everything that shows up in our lives is here for us. So if you have an addiction, whatever it may be, it's in that longing. What is the longing? So it's really an opportunity to look at the, the addiction, look at that energy and say, why do I want to do this? What's here for me? But many times what happens is we're so used to running with the addiction, or we, try to, we try to mask the addiction. But if we really sit down and do the deep inquiry and look at it and say, what is going on here? Why do I keep doing this? I have found a lot of the compulsive behavior I've had in my life as my spiritual practice becomes more habitual and the spiritual practice is simple stuff. You know, how, to show up and say, as I said in the, in the prayer treatment, how can I help? How can I help? 
Wherever, whatever environment you go to, how can I help? How can I serve my, my relationship with my beloved wife? I don't remember all the time, but I remember now more so than ever that my, one of my goals in that relationship is that, that to bring more joy and greater peace and celebration to that relationship. So it's really about each day, how can I help to look at her life? Sometimes she gets tired of me asking her how she's doing. I'm checking in. I was looking at her yesterday. I said, how you doing? She said, good. And then she started staring at me. And I said, what's up? She said, well, you were staring at me, so I'm staring back at you. <laughs> I said, okay. She did, didn't you? That's, that's the roomy gazing thing. So particles don't bounce off one another. They absorb and they exchange properties. So who are you hanging out with? Who are the people in your environment? Are there people that, that, that lift you up? That's the great thing about reading a book that's inspiring. There's a consciousness on that book. It's a Science of Mind textbook. I watch the science of the practitioner students right now going through that training. And it's interesting because everybody does it differently. Everybody filters the information differently. But there's something that's, while they're doing the work, spirits doing them. And whatever their learning is in the moment, whatever the filtering is, it's all unique and wonderful. And so it doesn't matter. There's, you don't measure that. It's very mystical. There's a form to it. There's reading and there's homework. But everyone, I watch every, every student in, that, in that, uh, that group of people, it's powerful to watch. Because I watch them when the doubt comes up. Because they'll read something they don't understand. Anybody here ever read something they don't understand? Yeah, there's at least a dozen people here that have read something they don't understand. Some of them don't like to do meditation. You know who you are. And so, you know what? What I know about that, what I know about that piece as well for myself is that the things we don't like to do, we need more discipline, don't you think? Discipline? Isn't that the word we're going to get t-shirts made? Discipline. Isn't that your favorite word? Whose favorite word here is discipline? Yeah, the guy in the back there. Yeah, thanks, Gans. Yeah. It's not about discipline, because discipline only lasts so long. That's willpower. It's about devotion. When we're devoted to an idea, when we're devoted to a bigger experience, the devotion, when we're devoted to something, we bring our whole heart to it, don't we? We bring our whole being to something. When we're, when we're devoted to one another, I'm in. You know, I'm in all the way. That's a wonderful thing about this, this community and, and the opportunity to be in community. You're de devoted to this idea of spirit. And then spirit's devoted to you. It's the way it works. Our problem is not giving more love. I think we think we give love, and we give love subjectively at the, at the level of what we're able to offer. Many times our love is, is very conditional. The real challenge for us is to receive the love, to let more love in. How much love can you let in? Because that can be very uncomfortable, letting love in. It's much easier to think we're loving than it is to just be present and allow it come in. In Elizabeth Lesser's book, Broken Open, she tells a story of how she remarried. Her marriage falls apart. She, beautiful book, beautiful book. We don't have them in the bookstore. We're out, but Chapters has them. It looks just like this. It's blue. It says Broken Open, and it's Elizabeth Lesser, L-E-S-S-E-R. And she's the founder, along with Ramdas, of the um, Omega Institute in upstate New York. And my wife, Laura, and I have been there a couple times. And it's sort of spiritual camp for adults. You can go and there's a variety of things that you can do, a variety of programs. But it was her vision. And in this book, she talks about her marriage, her second marriage. 
And she married this man that she just knew was the, the next, the, the person that could help smooth off the rough edges and help her grow and awake. And so they got in a relationship, and all of a sudden, she had a new stepson. The, the, the husband brought along his son, eventually. And the son was nothing like she was used to. He was raised in Los Angeles by his birth mother. Uh, he was allowed to watch as much TV as he wanted to watch. He was allowed to eat as much junk food as he could possibly get his hands on. And he was very, very busy. Much busier than she liked. And so he came, into the, he came onto the scene, and she didn't like it. Way too much. Always moving, always twitching, always got things going on. Never could settle down. And her, her children were immersed in sort of this sort of hippie culture of meditation and going for long hikes and canoe, canoe trips and things like that. And this kid wanted to just watch television and eat junk food. And his name was Michael. And so Michael showed up, and they couldn't figure out what to do with Michael. She couldn't figure out what to do with Michael because Michael didn't fit her idea, her perception. said, I gotta, I've got to... Um, fix this kid. And as she went along, she realized that she was taking on the qualities of the evil stepmother. You know, like in uh, Snow White or uh, Cinderella, the evil stepmom, or, or Hansel and Gretel. You know, Hansel and Gretel, where they took the two kids and they, they said, come on, we're going to... Because the, the evil stepmom in Hansel and Gretel tells the dad, we've got to get rid of these kids. They're a problem. And so the dad says, okay. I don't think it went that quickly, but it was probably a little convincing. Come on. So they haul the kids off. To, he takes them down the trail. And the kids have overheard this. So they drop these pebbles on the way, these white, these white uh, stones. And so they drop, drop them off in the woods. And the kids wait a bit. And then they just follow the pebbles back home. So that didn't deter the parents. So the next day, they decide they're going to take them even deeper into the woods. And so all the Hansel and Gretel had was bread. And they dropped the bread. Of course, all the animals of the forest ate the bread. And they couldn't find their way home. And it's a very interesting metaphor about children's need for love and as parents are either our willingness or ability to love or not. And Elizabeth Lesser could really identify with this story. So anyway, they couldn't figure out Michael and they took him to the doctor one day because they could just tell there was something that was just off a bit. And they couldn't figure out all the constant motion and all those things that were going on with him. This behavior that she found unacceptable. And they found out that he had a mild form of Tourette's had Tourette's syndrome. And she realized that as the parent in this situation that it was her opportunity to find new ways to be and to support this and to affirm this child's gifts. And she said, I had to put the, down the idea that I have all the answers. From what I have all the answers to, I don't know anything. And to watch him and to understand that his way of, of masking his symptoms was to be in constant motion. And to start to nurture and see the divine within him. and to take, Because she said it was very easy when I was at work to help people that were having challenges like this. But it was a whole different story for her when she got home in her own environment where she wanted it to be different. And she realized how rigid she was and how entrenched she was and how her perceptions were a certain way. And so she had to let go of that. And over a, a period of time, they learned how to be in relationship together. They learned how to, to love and appreciate one another. At one point in time, the Michaels High School asked parents if they'd like to come in on Wednesday afternoon and teach a class. And so Elizabeth Lesser said, well, I'll volunteer to teach meditation for six weeks for a half hour. And she looked up at the first class, and who's sitting there but Michael? And she thought, oh, this is going to be good. This kid can't sit still for 10 seconds. And she asked them at the first class, 
why did you sign up for this? And she couldn't wait to get home to read Michael's answer. So they all filled out their form. She got home, and Michael's answer was, I want to be able to chill with Ramdas. And Ramdas was Richard Alpert, who had been, he was actually kicked out of uh, Harvard along with Timothy Leary for experimenting with LSD, and they founded the Omega Institute together, he and, he and Elizabeth Lesser. But it was his way of being funny because he used humor a lot of times to mask, once again, the symptoms. But she said through the six weeks, she would look up, and there would be Michael, just, just like the Buddha under a tree, just silent and in the meditation and totally committed. And it was his way of saying, because he would always make fun of the things she did. She'd make, he'd make fun of the spiritual practices and the whole thing with the Omega Institute. But it was his way of saying, I, I really do get what you're doing, and I really do care. And so they would do the meditation, and she said that at the, immediately when the meditation was over, he would stand up and he would do a backflip in the class, which was his way of saying, yeah, I'll do your meditation, but I'm also still me, and I'm not slowing down. You know, meditation's over. But years later, he, he went on to, to uh, find his way in the world, and, she, and he wrote her a letter. He said, by the time he graduated from high school, he was a gifted basketball player and actor. He was admitted to a prestigious university and graduated with a degree in theater. And then he moved back to Los Angeles to pursue an acting career. And they started, they continued to have this lively conversation. And he wrote her a letter shortly after uh, he completed university. And he had seen the movie about Richard Alpert, about Ram Dass, who had wrote a book called Be Here Now, which is a classic in the, in the 70s. And he said this, in Ram Dass's story, the story, and we've seen it, we've shown it here, called Fierce Grace. I talked about it maybe a month ago. So this, that movie was amazing. It had me in tears for most of it. Ram Dass is an incredible person. But I guess you already knew that. I was really interested in hearing him talk about his stroke. He handles it so differently than most people seem to. It is one of those medical problems, like my Tourette's syndrome, that Western medicine can't really fix. And all that is left is how you deal with it psychologically. He likened his symptoms to sirens, the sirens of the odyssey. In parentheses, Michael says, see, I really did read it. I can identify with that, and I've never heard it put so articulately. Ramdas says that when his symptoms start to drag him down, he feels like Odysseus, who straps himself to the mast to keep from swimming to the sirens. He says he sometimes has to work that hard not to give in to the pain and the fear, but from the look of it, I bet he sails right by the sirens and gives them a high five. I'm not quite there yet. Michael continues, but he's given me some insight. Dealing with Tourette syndrome is my siren's experience. It made me a stronger person than I would have been without it. I remember when I was little and Dad took me to the neurologist. He gave me that medicine. It kind of took the symptoms away. Unfortunately, it took something else with it. I only took that stuff a few times, and when I stopped, I specifically remember feeling lucky that I had Tourette's syndrome because it gave me a reference to the world that most people didn't have. And I don't really look at Tourette's syndrome as a disease anymore or let myself get stuck in the symptoms as much. Of course, something, sometimes it happens. And then I turn into a twitching mess. Getting tangled up in the symptoms makes them worse because I'm fighting them. I think after seeing the film, I'll have a whole new way of looking at it. Now I really want to chill with Ramdas. So for all of us, where, what is our curriculum? Laura Berman-Fortang, it was depression. 
For Michael, it was his Tourette syndrome. And he realized that we all, even our addictions are a gift. Even that is part of the curriculum, wherever we are. And what it forces us to do is to be in meaningful relationship. It forces us to find mentors and people, the three people in our lives that can mentor us into a bigger idea. So, and, and people that we can, because we want to be stretched in consciousness. When you sit around with a group and, and you have a problem and their problem is similar, many times you watch it in relationships. You watch it in marriages. People get married because they're pain. They recognize the pain. You know, you'll, you'll you have two people that have a drinking, drinking problem or, they'll, or a drinking blessing, gift in their life. And they'll come together to play it out. And it's, it's natural. It's just natural because that's the way consciousness works. That's absorption. You absorb and go, oh, I can identify with your pain. And then all of a sudden, one of them decides that they don't want to live in that, at that level anymore, and they start to put that down. So the reasons that you come together in relationship aren't the same reasons now that they were then. And it's a problem. It's a challenge. And, and we either step up, we either pull one another along, and we, we, we rise to the level, or we do something different. Or we continue to be in the relationship and continue to do our work. There's no right or wrong way to do this. And it usually doesn't happen overnight. You know what's that about life? It takes about, you know, I, I've worked with people, it usually takes, I don't know, three, four, five, seven, ten, twenty years before people actually do something about the, the situation. I can't be in this relationship anymore. Like I said earlier, that's just one step. Because there's been so much consciousness laid down and invested into this. There's been so much absorption into the situation. It's difficult to break that. You spend 20, 30 years, 30, 40 years telling yourself that you don't, you don't measure up, that you hope no one finds out who and what you are. Those are all truths for a lot of people on the planet. We see it played out all the time on the planet. And our opportunity is to shift that perception because that shift in perception leads, gives birth to freedom and meaning. I think we're all looking for meaning in our lives. None of us are taking our cars with us. The Egyptians tried that. You know what happens? They come along and they dig everything up. They didn't have cars, though, with the... Mel Klemchuk's got a bunch of chariots over at his house from the Egyptian days along with the other paraphernalia. That... But none of us are taking this stuff with us. So why, why are we here? Why are we doing this? It's the consciousness. It is the laying down of consciousness and the shifting and changing of perception. And that's what the foundational piece of our teaching is. To live that life that is so full and rich and wonderful, as Pantangeli says, when you're inspired by some great purpose, some extraordinary project, your mind transcends limitation, your consciousness expands in every direction, and you feel yourself in a new, great, and wonderful world. And suddenly, dormant forces, faculties, and talents within you become alive, and you discover yourself to be a greater person than you ever dreamed yourself to be. That's one of the doorways of perception that we can walk through. The continued filtering of our thinking, the filtering of our thinking, the awareness. Laura Berman Fortang talked about the gift of her depression that she lived with her entire life. It's still there, she said. But it forced her to become mindful of what she's thinking. Michael, Elizabeth Lesser's stepson, the Tourette's, brought him into a new awareness, a new gift that he would not have had without that. Whatever yours has been, whatever mine has been and continues to be, it's there for us. It's there to work for us. And we have everything we need so that we can step through that gateway and that, that of possibility and potential. And it's exciting. It's exciting to be alive. To have this teaching in our life is such a gift. It is such a gift. I get up every morning and I'm so grateful for the people in my life, the people that stretch me and challenge me and ask me to be the best I can be, to, to live that vision that Pantangeli talks about, to expand your consciousness and to share your gifts Gifts you don't even know you have that lie dormant. If we're the thing itself, 
Why would we not hesitate to share that, to be open to that, to be teachable, and to direct this infinite intelligence to bring me the awarenesses and the opportunities and the people and the situations that allow me to be the most powerful and wonderful presence of that on this planet that I can be? That's a far more interesting idea than I'm not good enough, or I hope they don't find me out, or I'll hope I can get through the month because I don't have enough money this month, or whatever your other declaration may be. But whatever we plant, whatever seed we plant, it manifests in our experience. And whatever level of consciousness we're at, we, can, we see it continuing to be played out in our lives. So if you're, you're in a situation that you're, you're challenged by or you're struggling with, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you don't have to stay there. There's something far more interesting and far more powerful that, you, that we're all being called to do. And, it is, and when we're in devotion to it, when it, your heart and soul's in it, and then you know wherever you step up. When I look at the world, for me, the question is always, how can I help? I was watching television the other day, and they said that one-sixth of the U.S. economy is based on health care. One-sixth. When this teaching was first founded, most of it was around physical healing because the doctors, the technology wasn't there. All of a sudden, technology ca- caught up, and there's pills for everything. There's medication. We're going to eradicate this. We're eradicating that. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But why? What level of thinking is going on on this planet that one-sixth of an economy goes towards fixing something that so much of it, if we, if we could filter our consciousness and awareness in a way that was productive and healthy and vibrant and we were alive with life, we wouldn't have those challenges. And, and, the, and the fear-based idea is, well, then what would we do? Well, we'd find something more interesting to do. We always do. Instead of fixing the, the diseases and the discord, we think it's normal to get sick. We think it's normal to, to live in dysfunction and disease and to be in dysfunctional relationships. That's not normal. That's what, what, what the normal world looks like. I don't want to be normal. Have you noticed? I'm not interested in that. I'm, li- I'm interested in continuing to put down the things that don't work for me anymore and to, be, to, to show up awake and aware and to live a life that is powerful and wonderful in whatever I do. Doesn't mean I have to heal the world. Doesn't mean I even have to get my name put down anywhere. It just simply means that my state of being, wherever I go, I'm excited about being alive. I'm excited about sharing my gifts. I'm excited about you sharing your gifts and continuing to develop that and develop the consciousness. See, I think this is preparation for something else. I don't know what. But I think consciousness, I think when we're, we're standing in that flow of life, I think consciousness is so powerful, we're being called and to continue to answer the call despite what it looks like. Despite what the relationship, the right and perfect people always show up in our lives. Always. Always. And sometimes the right and perfect people we think we were done with years ago show up again because there's an imprint still playing itself out. When that happens for me, I just say, no, don't do that anymore, but thanks for inviting me. I'm not going there with you. But that's part of spiritual practice. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say no. But don't let no be the destination on your spiritual practice. Because you watch people in spiritual practice, and sometimes their spiritual practice becomes saying no to everything. And they think they've achieved spiritual mastery. And those of us on the other side think, man, is there work for that person to do? It's about being permeable and teachable and open. Because when the cup is too full, nothing else can get in. That's the beautiful thing about this, what we have here. And, what we're, and we are nurturing consciousness. We're affecting these young people that come here. We're affecting people that we, in, in a wonderful, powerful way to take this teaching out into the world. See, what I'm interested in is seeing this teaching being millions of people performing miracles with ease. And it's at at the level of thinking and catching ourselves sooner than later when we start to judge and criticize and compete. There's enough for everybody. The fear-based economy will tell you there's not enough for it. There's enough for everybody. It's not distributed very well. There's enough for everybody. So how do we fix that? 
We're going through amazing changes right now, and your consciousness and my consciousness is needing it, needed in that. So to heal our perception is to open the door to give birth to freedom and meaning. So it is.